Welcome to Golden Grade, Collaboration SF's podcast empowering Asian American stories from the gold rush to the gold over. I'm Long. I'm Elsa. And welcome to episode three. We're going to be talking about Always Be My Maybe, which is a recent Netflix rom-com featuring Ali Wong and Randall Park. So disclaimer, there's going to be a few spoilers ahead. Um, so if you don't want to hear it, then we would suggest you skip a little for it and listen to our introductions of our showcase finalists. Me and Long wanted to share our personal opinions about it. I like the rom-com a lot. I thought it was better than a lot of rom-coms that have been released in the past. And it's not just because I can relate to the Asian culture side of it. I see a lot of Sasha and Marcus's relationship within my own personal relationship. And I like how they put all these little sprinklings of SF stuff. And it is kind of cliche, like it's, you know, how often do we ride cable cars? But I literally did that in high school. And uh, I mean, I don't do that as much anymore, as much as I like. But it's true, like natives do do that kind of stuff that are touristy and, you know, but they also included other things that weren't so much. What did you think about it, Lon? Oh, I thought it was great. Um, I thought that there's a lot of nuances that I liked that most rom-coms don't touch upon, especially being in the Bay Area. It's kind of awesome that Ali was still able to, and probably shooting in San Francisco is not cheap, and no. she was still able to probably use the budget Netflix gave her and made it really authentic, yeah. right? I think it was funny how they were at the farmer's market in Civic Center, and I I, I don't think the people in the background were extras. I think they were just people who were shopping there normally. Yeah. And so I was just thinking they would just have to tell everyone, hey, don't freak out. We're filming a movie. Um, act normal, guys. Because I would see people looking at them. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that was a natural reaction. And that just cracked me up. But I think San Francisco, you have like naked people with samurai soldiers and stuff. <laughs> so like just like two people filming, like, oh, it's just another news circuit thing. So I think we're kind of jaded, right? That's true. Yeah. We're desensitized to that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it was just like, oh, just... Look, there is another film or another like news reporting about like, I don't know, the farmer's market. So hopefully that's what happened, right? Yeah. Um, what was your favorite scene? Actually, I don't have a particular favorite scene of mine, but I like the movie overall. I resonated with the very emotional aspects of the movie where like Marcus's mom died and um, at the very end, the connection back to the restaurant, Judy's Way. Mm -hmm. um, it just really made me tear up and... Um, yeah, it, it's kind of like it reminded me of the montage in Up where people are watching this happy family mm. <laughs> and then the wife dies or the wife doesn't get, you know, a baby. She's infertile. And that kind of made me think of, wow, so I was expecting this buildup and next thing you know, I didn't expect the, the mom to die. Yeah. So that really caught me off guard. I think also, too, you can see his character change um, when they're Burger King and then... <laughs> But yeah, they had the awkward moment, but then yeah, and Randall's just being like mean, and she tries to say something like nice, and she and he's like, "That's not that wasn't your mom." Yeah, and she, that's when they split up, and so that's like his character kind of stayed like that for a while. But I can understand both of their emotions because I mean, yeah, he has that is technically his mom all his life, but you know she's very close to her in her own way. Yeah. There are moments where they're just hanging out, the two of them. Whereas Marcus just makes his way over um, throughout and stops within the scene. But what was your favorite scene? My favorite scene was all the Hello Peril um, scenes of him performing. and He was good. Yeah, right? You know, Did you know he was I in the rap group? I would see that. I would see that live. Uh, no, I had no idea. He actually was originally in the rap group like that. And um, it was very nerdy, like wordy, wordsmithy like yeah. stuff. So it was 
kind of homage to that, and it sounds exactly like he did before. Definitely. I think it was like a homage to their Asian American studies roots. Yeah, so, and then people that don't get the name, Hello Peril is for Yellow Peril. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was awesome. They even had the merchandise and everything. Yeah. It was amazing. But um, one thing I liked about that aspect is that, you know, it was so real for to see him have imposter syndrome because, you know, he's doing well, but he was just saying, like, I want to stay true to my city. I don't want to leave. This is my home. Yeah. And, like, you know, like, his band members are trying to, like, get him to perform, like, a... They made up a version of South by Southwest, but they're trying mm -hmm. to get him to perform, and he's just, like, kind of pushing back. Yeah, and just to have him expand get out of the, his elements. Yeah. I think he's nervous because he has this reaction, this reception from the bar that he usually performs at. And that if you go somewhere else, you don't know how people are going to react to you and how people are going to perceive you or are they going to be inviting, warm, accepting of this. Yeah, leaving little details to like, they still use a photocopier <laughs> for the flyers. Yeah, and like, like the, Sharpie image. It was a Sharpie and I was like, oh, that's so real. But then like, he still has grown out After of like that. 15 plus years. But the funniest thing was like, um, yeah, the tennis balls. And he's like, oh crap, we just got to order tennis balls. Let's just, screw it. Let's just go with it, right? Um, well, Marcus didn't want that. It was his merch manager. One of the things I see is that people don't, especially in the digital age, because I was doing band managing 10 years ago to now where like people are too caught up with like, Instagram likes and stories, but they still need physical media. That's how you need, or physical um, merchandise to sell your stuff. Speaking of merch, did you see the Stay Angry shirt he was rocking? Two versions of it, actually. Which was the other one? The one where they were in front of the De Young Museum, and it's a dino. Oh, I didn't even see that one, no. Yeah, that one's pretty covered up by his blazer, but... Got it. Yeah, the other one is by um, Irene Ko. She's... Um, that one with the woman with the braids. Yeah. The design. She's from here and she designed that one, which was like right in the face because he, he also, re like, I like how she's like, wait. And he was wearing that to like a red carpet event. Yeah, the red carpet, which is the Palace of Fine Arts, right? Yeah. And he was just like, wait, I thought billionaires dress like this. And he's like, crap. But um, yeah, but I love uh, that shirt. And um, and I guess it goes back to what we were just talking about merchandise too. If you um, look at it, much more of a layered um, is that that shirt's from Asian Man, the website, and he's been like grassroots. When did he start his website? Do you know? In 2001. So yeah, one thing that people don't know is, a lot of people don't know is that he does fundraising with these um, shirts and to get the site going because, you know, you can, there's only so many ads you can sell. And he sells these shirts as um, campaigns Actually, they stopped production of this shirt originally because once the campaign's over, you know, the design is over and once they sell out, they don't make any more. But because of the popularity of this movie, people wanted these shirts and actually are making dupes that aren't going back to Phil, aren't going back to Angry Asian Man. So they are doing pre-orders right now. And if you want one of the shirts, you go to his website, angryasianman.com. There's a little tab on the top that says the shirt and you can pre-order one now. It's going to go back to support his cause of supporting other people. And again, it goes in full circle of like why we do showcase for collaboration to, to empower, to teach, and to encourage performers, especially for a showcase, like to do these things and to hype each other up. So it's important that people buy tickets to showcase because you know this helps build our confidence for performers and to have support that they can see people enjoy their music. And 
this is gonna be a stepping stone for you know plenty more performances for their fans and all old and new. Speaking of showcase, we wanted to mention again that we're celebrating our 10th anniversary. Collaboration SF was started in 2009, so we're having our eighth annual showcase this year. It's happening on June 29th at 7 p.m. And tickets are available at collabsf8.eventbrite.com. So come out and show support for our finalists. Yay! So last week we featured Chase Blue and Container, and now we're going to have our next three contestants. The first one is going to be Andre Nuestro, and you can find his Instagram handle at O-N-D-U-R-A-Y. And he had a chat with Kathleen Damien. And he's also going to show us a cover of So Sick by Neil, which is his first cover from YouTube. Yo, this one's going to slap. Watch. Because right now it says that we can't come to the phone. And I know it makes no sense when you are All right, so hey, my name is Kathleen. Um, and this is Andre Nuestro. Hello. He is one of our collaboration um, finalists. So would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself to us? Yeah, my name is Andre Nuestro. Um, born and raised in San Jose. I'm a singer-songwriter. And um, yeah, I'm Filipino, full Filipino. Yeah, I represent. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, so how did you get started in music? Um, I was uh, like five or six and my mom asked me if I wanted to learn piano or play basketball. <laughs> so at the time I was doing both like a lot like okay. we have a basketball court outside my house and um, I spent like almost every afternoon there but at the same time we had like this like Casio like non-weighted keyboard and I was just like kind of tap away making music I decided to do uh, piano and um, I hated it <laughs> all the way till I was about like 12 or 13 mm -hmm. I bounced like four different teachers because I didn't practice and oh, no. I don't know and then we ended up moving to uh, Arizona um, for like about a year and I didn't really have any friends mm -hmm. and I did there's no music teachers out there it was like mm -hmm. a middle of nowhere town so uh, yeah I just started playing you know the piano on my own trying to do pop music mm -hmm. like I remember my first song I did was like I don't know so sick by Neo Aww. you know <laughs> that was like a classic and then after that I just kind of went up because uh, that was actually my first YouTube video it was on my brother's like channel and then I uh, picked up the guitar, played the ukulele, and you know, um, yeah, I came back to the bay, and then just kind of dominoed from there. Oh, nice! So mm -hmm. you've you've been now you've been a musician for a long time. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> back, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. awesome though. Mm -hmm. um, and who are some of your musical inspirations? Oh man, that's crazy In inspirations. Cause I like a lot of artists. Yeah, there's a, there's some artists I love like. Um, growing up, I was huge on Beatles. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love Paramore. Oh, yeah. yes. Oh, I love um, Paramore, too. But as of right now, with my songwriting, anywhere between, like, Matt Garris, Tom Mish, mm -hmm. maybe even, like, um, like some John Legend. Yeah. John Mayer recently. Mm -hmm. I actually wasn't a huge fan of him, like, growing up. Really? Yeah. I mean, I would, like, listen to Gravity. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, more recently, I think... Yeah, those are pretty much it. And every now and then, like, there'd be artists I would kind of, like, um, have something random. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, Addison Pack, mm -hmm. um, Jay Ant, right? Is that pretty I forgot the name. And then, um, uh, shoot, yeah. And also just, like, local artists, too. Mm -hmm. I think those are my biggest inspirations because I'm a huge fan of live music. Mm -hmm. So going to, like, shows or even something small as open mic and have, like, an artist, like, maybe, like, turn my head, like, whoa, like, <laughs> what's up? You know, yeah. well, that's good. So That's awesome. 
I kind of see some of your musical influences and your style of music. Mm -hmm. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what has been the most difficult part in making a name for yourself within the music world? I think the hardest part is doing it yourself. Mm. You know, um, I think what doesn't what's not discussed too much when it comes to like being an artist um, of all forms, like you know, actual like art, music you know, poetry is that there's management behind some of these big artists, mm -hmm. you know, so doing it on yourself, it's, it's hard sometimes because you have to kind of like put a standard for yourself in order to like really be taken seriously. Because yeah. when I was a uh, younger, when I first started, I was doing a lot of free gigs, mm -hmm. you know, just because like I wanted to get out there. Yeah. But then you learn that, you know, asking even just for it a little bit wouldn't hurt, mm -hmm. you know, because that kind of like puts value towards your art instead mm -hmm. of just being like, oh yeah, he's disposable, like he can do it for free. Yeah. You know, so I think that's the hardest part about being uh, an artist, right? That was, that was yeah. the question was, mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. So other than that, I mean, making art just to make art is like, you know, it's free. It's fun, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. It's just the management part. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, and how do you think your background as an Asian American has shaped your music, if at all? I mean, if anyone knows the name Adria Raphael, you know, that whole entire era, <laughs> oh you know, Gabe Bondock, uh, Lee J. Sanchez, you know, like, the whole thing, uh, Ryan Bandock before he was, um... um Ryan Mitchell Green. Yeah, <laughs> you know, so it's like the whole thing, Tim Atlas, like, all those people, like, they're from, I mean, you know, luckily, majority of them are from California, you know, some come from the Bay, um, yeah, just like, um... I just think a lot of influence during that time really played a role like un like you know without even realizing it because like you're just a kid in front of a computer mm -hmm. screen and you're like oh dude they're Filipino too like let me pick up my ukulele and yeah. throw my Obey hat you know <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> no but uh really though because at first it was kind of just a thing like my dad he he took a business trip out to Hawaii and he brought back a small guitar, which was like a ukulele. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a thing before, you yeah. know. I would walk around with it, people would say, like, cool banjo. You know? <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's yeah. actually called a ukulele, you know, <laughs> ukulele. But, um, but then after that, you know, I grew to love it. And I think after it being like, a, have seen it before, it became like, oh, it's kind of who I am, mm -hmm. you know. So I think um, in that sense, that's how it's kind of played a role as an Asian American, right? Just like seeing the influence... But I think it's also cool because, um, I don't know, I just feel like a lot of Filipinos, like, you know, we're just into music, mm -hmm. you know, a good amount have soul, which yeah. is kind of cool too, <laughs> you know. Also shout out to her randomly, because really cool. <laughs> hey, you know, Vallejo. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's pretty much it for, like, the, like Asian American, yeah. And also, it's kind of cool too, I've also been um, trying to keep up with, like, K-pop in a way. Mm -hmm. But more so of like the acoustic artists, yeah. Because yeah, I noticed like uh, for Jeff Burnett, like mm. he's like blowing up over in Korea, yeah, yeah. In Indonesia. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I think they have a huge niche for like the kind of music that I like to make too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's awesome. And like going up with that, do you think? What do you think about how Asian Americans in the music industry now like? Do you see that it's getting better for them um, from the past? Like, what do you hope to see with that in the future? I think slowly it's kind of becoming more normalized. Like, we know we know 88 Rising, mm -hmm. you know, huge ups to them. I remember coming across their page, like, like a few years ago, and I'm like, okay, they're like kind of like a hip-hop, like, trappy kind of, <laughs> you know. Because um, I remember their one of their bigger, like, turnarounds was when they, like, uh, promoted, like, Ichima. Mm -hmm. Remember that song? Yeah. yeah. Really good song. 
Um, but now I'm seeing more that they're just representing a whole. Like if you can make mm. a name for yourself, then they'll recognize you and yeah. so forth. Uh, but there's a lot of platforms right now that kind of support um, all types. Um, like there's this uh, Instagram um, community uh, pickup. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have heard of that. Like they they originally pick up jazz, but then eventually they have like different brands like pick up beats and then pick up in general. And it mm -hmm. seems like there's you know a good amount of like Asian representation on there too. But then again, they don't discriminate towards any race mm -hmm. or ethnicity. Um, so yeah, uh, what do I hope for it? I hope it, you know, I hope it becomes more normalized. Just like anything else in that portrays Asians in media. Mm. You know, I hope that it becomes a thing where it's not even about the skin tone anymore. Yeah. Just about the music that's mm -hmm. being created. Yeah, definitely. You know, like there's so many Asians right now that are just coming out like mm -hmm. randomly. And I'm like, whoa, like. Where'd y'all come from? Yeah, like <laughs> totally respect. It's inspiring, yeah. you know, like recently. Have you guys heard of an artist named Nikki? It's yeah, like, yeah. I love her. I was like, dude, she's so good. Yeah, I'm like, and Damn. she's young, and she's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So let's hope it. You know, always positive like outcomes for anything. You know, I think we've progressed a lot, mm -hmm. which is really exciting. I mean, it could yeah. be that we're in this bubble of Bay Area. <laughs> think that. Yeah. But you know, yeah. All right. Awesome. Um, um, tell us about any upcoming projects that you have. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> drum roll. So I'm actually scheduled to be recording my first EP this year. Wow, that's um, awesome. Release date, you know, to be, you know, announced. Um, I'm kind of aiming for early next year. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also going to be releasing some singles this year. So a lot of just like taking it by the horns, like very seriously, my craft. I feel like I have a lot of originals, but they're always just performed live and never mm -hmm. recorded. Yeah. So I think it's finally time. Plus, I saved up some money, so <laughs> it's expensive, you know, like doing yeah. all this stuff. But you know, it's worth. Like example, like going back to the managing thing, mm -hmm. you know, having to manage yourself and understanding like the all the aspects of being an artist on platforms, you know, yeah. you know, because I kind of grew up on the live the live side of things, you mm -hmm. know, the booking shows, all that stuff. But now that it's, social media has exploded on all platforms, it's kind of like okay, I have to figure out how to get that like under control as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah. That's so exciting. Mm -hmm. Any last words <laughs> that you want to share? Um, yeah, I guess if there's one thing I, I would I would like to say, at the, like, you know, um, is to anyone that, you know, has a passion towards something, like, always do it, you know, behind closed doors and don't worry about pay. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the biggest thing right now that I'm seeing is that artists are, or people are picking up a quote-unquote passion mm -hmm. and um, they won't do it unless there's some exposure along with it and I think that's very toxic yeah. and it's not really what I would consider a passion right mm -hmm. like anyone who has a passion towards something regardless of what it is carving wood um, I don't know hiking it's just you just do it yeah definitely. like literally Nike like Nike <laughs> it up, you know just do it like no cap just you know um, don't worry too much about what the future holds for it because if you love something, mm -hmm. it always follows through. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks everyone for listening and thank you so much, Andre, for being on our show yeah, and no allowing problem. collaboration to interview you. Mm -hmm. And everyone should follow Andre on his socials and listen to his music. And also, we want to invite everybody to our showcase on June 29th. It's going to be awesome. See Andre and a bunch of other artists um, perform. And we hope to see you there. Yeah. Next, we have Rachel Borgato. Her Instagram goes by Rachel the Bull, and she's talking with Josh. The song she's gonna be singing is a cover of All You Can Do Is Dream by Everly Brothers. Check out this one. In my arms when I want you, in all your charms whenever I want you, all I have to do 
Okay, so I've been hanging out in a interesting area of Sunnyvale. I'm with Rachel Bergado. Hey. How you doing, Rachel? I'm okay. How are you? Um, I'm okay. It's kind of hot here, but you know, we turn the hot, we just turn the hot water dispenser off, oh. and so everything is set. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um. Love so, Rachel, that. why don't you start by telling people a little bit about yourself? Um. Well, what do you want to know? Well, I already know you are a incredibly talented singer. Mm. You participated on this awesome Filipino singing competition show, The Clash. Mm-hmm. You won LA Voice 2019. Mm-hmm. And somehow you're also 17? I am. Sev- I just turned 17, you just actually. turned 17. Last month. I started when I was really young, like a lot of people my age that are probably doing the same thing as I am. I started when I was five, and... It started all from like a karaoke machine and my dad totally pushing me because he saw potential. And I began performing um, more and more when I was seven and then it kind of became more serious by the time I became 13. And that's pretty much it. Cool. So I just start, wanted to start by <laughs> digging into the start because that's always really interesting to right. me. So you said that your first memory of singing mm-hmm. was being five years old. Uh, five or younger. Uh, I like I dug up this picture where I had a Dora haircut. I think a lot of Asian kids had like that Dora haircut. Everybody, and, let's go. <laughs> and yeah, my you could just totally just see my dad just like telling me to just keep singing. And it was just kind of like a candid picture. So it's like five. Do you remember any of the like the first song you remember singing? The first song I remember singing was um, "Whenever I Want You." All I have to do is dream by the Everly Brothers, and that was like that. That was the song. Like that. That slapped. Like that was it. That slapped. Like play that at a party near me. I'm gonna dance to it. <laughs> What's like a little snippet that you like still remember um, from that song? When I want you. In my arms when I want you In all your charms whenever I want you All I have to do is dream I'm super nervous right now. So. No, you're like, right now, like, I don't know if you can see right now, Jenny's, like, turning up right now behind <laughs> me. She's producing this, and she's, like, wilding out. <laughs> we'll shut her down after this, okay? Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so that was your first memory. You're five years old. And so what was it that initially drew you to singing? Was it just something you realized as a talent and was fun or was it a little more than that i think it was kind of just like my parents just seeing potential um i found a passion for it by the time i was maybe 11 and you mentioned that your parents helped push you to get to that point tell me what growing up here was like and how you ended up settling on wow like singing is something i really love i think um like just being like my parents being from the Philippines and they didn't really have much. My all my siblings they were born in the Philippines and I guess they saw an opportunity here in America. And fortunately for me, I didn't have to immigrate or anything and I was born here and so we didn't really have that much money. Um, we kind of still don't. But uh, yeah, they just they kind of just influenced me in that way. To just like, oh yeah, like do it for us. Do it to be like the breadwinner of our family. Like help us and yeah. So you're singing for a while and you start doing competitions and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. What was it that eventually got you to audition for a really big singing competition in the Philippines? The Clash. I think I've tried many times before to um, be a part of 
any type of talent shows here in the United States. But, you know, um, you don't really get that much representation on American TV as an Asian American. And so when I had the opportunity to be able to fly out and just represent myself, even if it was in the Philippines, like I just had like this need to just like always like like show everyone like I'm Rachel Bergato, like this is what I've been doing, this is what I can do. Like yeah, I guess that was just like my calling, like just not being able to ever have that opportunity here in the States and then finally I had like this opportunity in the Philippines and I was just like I'll just grab it because you know like you really never have that chance and it's like a once in a lifetime thing even if it did come again like it's better to do it the first time than like let it go and like expect it to come next time you know when you did perform I know that it was in Tagalog so what was that like (laughs) learning a language you didn't know and singing songs in a language you didn't speak You know, you kind of just really have to, like, besides just, like, nailing all the notes and just nailing, like, um, like, all the runs and everything, it's just kind of, you need a, this was really hard for me because I I really didn't know any Tagalog, um, you just need to know the backstory of every single song. Every single song is a story, and, um, one of the best things that I've learned from one of my vocal coaches, um, was, you are a storyteller, like, it doesn't really matter Like, you don't really matter in that moment. It's the song that matters. And so you were telling the story of that song. And so, yeah, it was was super difficult because I never really had, like, this key, like, spot on, like, oh, this is, like, the exact translation of the song. Like, I can never get that because I didn't know the language. So I just kind of had to um, do all my research and I had to ask all these people around me, what does this mean? I know, like, Jane Aiko, Aiko Chris Brown, girl. Chris Brown, some of your faves. Yeah. Um, what else is up there for you in terms of favorite artists? Um, um, or especially just who has influenced the way that you sing in your own sense of musical style? I think musically, I totally identify with um, Jessie J. Just mm. her performance skills and everything, just totally just blows me away. I think she's one of the singers that can definitely, like, just, like, belt and just totally, I don't know, like, she, there's something about her, man. Like, she does not need autotune. Um, I think also Ariana Grande, she's not your typical sound. Like, she's not really heavy-toned, and that also kind of influenced me to, like, kind of go softer on my music. Janae also um, kind of influenced me by just kind of being more authentic to myself because when you listen to her music it's not really it's not it's not like typical r&b she's just kind of like speaking whatever's on her mind she's kind of speaking her poetry and yeah and also um miss miss um regina velasquez i've been listening to her since i was a young girl um obviously because i've been singing a lot of opm uh, and she just kind of influenced me to kind of uh, just sing more songs that um, are authentic to my culture. You're 17. I'm 17. We already know you have a great voice. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, but what is that like to be in a world that, you know, uses social media increasingly more and also values things like authenticity and vulnerability? Of How can you be authentic in that kind of world? I think as a teenager especially, it's super hard um, 
because you kind of just I would just I would like to say that I'm not really a follower but you know you just see all these trends and you just can't help but think oh dang I should probably be doing that (laughs) um but you know um I just think being authentic to yourself is just not really giving um giving a dang about like what other people are doing you know um I think it's good to find influence in other people I think it's good to be influenced um I think it's good to have references but um just really getting to know yourself as an artist or as a person um we don't really get to do that nowadays because we're always kind of um trying to impress whoever's looking whoever's on our page um at least that's what I find myself and my friends are doing um, you know, I, I think it's just super tough, um, especially when um, there are a lot of things that are unrealistic on social media, and I, I usually find myself stepping back from it, especially Instagram. I, I don't really, I'm not really on there that much, um, just because I don't think it's healthy for my mental health, and I just, I just don't think it's good to be looking at people that are always trying to one up each other. You know, I think being authentic is just being able to keep everything at your own pace and it doesn't really matter if you're far behind or if you're super ahead because you know like just being true to yourself just like matters the most and I think that everyone should really look into that but it just just kind of sucks because we're in this world where everyone's just trying to win a race that is never going to be winnable um yeah that's my take on authenticity and just you know just trying to learn to get to know yourself i think that is super wise (laughs) we're all running like the same race we're just at different stages of that race and sometimes social media can make it seem Mm -hmm. like we need to be somewhere else yeah and a lot of times like that's really not the case like i have friends that seem like super happy where they're at where like they just seem super successful and just like deep down inside like when it really comes down to them as a human like they are hurting so much because they're trying to please everyone like they when they can't even be there for themselves and i just think it's just hard to kind of get yourself out of that hole Mm -hmm. i think especially when you've you were kind of dug in too deep to it um i know that vulnerability is hard but once you're able to find that you Mm -hmm. can be that with someone yeah it helps make life easier definitely have you found like your your squad Mm -hmm. has been (laughs) able to help you get through um your music career and you know tough times either i don't know maybe a friend or two that you count on um yeah i have um my wonderful two friends um mika and zionce tell me about them um they're like they're they're my like my two like best friends especially when it comes to music like there's like there aren't really other people that really understand what's going on um in the music world and like I mean at least people like my peers at the moment like um they're super talented and you know uh we all just kind of check each other because we all want to be successful we all want to get to this place and you know um we just try to humble each other because you know sometimes it gets really competitive in the aspect of oh crap maybe I like why do I like why am I kind of falling behind her like we're like doing the same thing Mm -hmm. why are they getting more attention than me we're doing the same thing um so it's just kind of like we're all friends 
we're all okay guys we all love each other <laughs> we're all friends you know like we're, we're like best friends and yeah that's my little group because like we can all we can keep it real with each other um and yeah it just i don't know like i am just like excited to see like where careers are gonna take us because like we're all super different and it just kind of sucks that like it has to be that way we're like we kind of see each other as competition sometimes but it's like friendly competition so yeah <laughs> competition but you're you know you're at the end of the day ride or die right exactly okay so shout out to them mm-hmm. love you guys thanks mika thanks Beyonce. i'll see you guys soon so i was just curious obviously you sing i know shocker that's mm-hmm. the biggest news story out of this what um <laughs> but you also play a couple other instruments and so I just want to know what other hobbies really bring you joy and why you enjoy doing them. For example, I heard you're into poetry. Is that still true? Oh my goodness. Yes. I love poetry. That is like, that's like my number one, I think. Yeah, it kind of, um, it, it started off with like kind of like writing because I was kind of always like, anxious and just kind of like needed to cope with things it's also one of the reasons why Janae is my favorite because um she like I kind of like just listened to her songs and I was like dang she's just she does not care like she this is her poetry like you can just tell like she just wrote this on paper and she's just like singing it and that's kind of when my writing started turning poetic and so just like poems and it's just like a way for me to kind of like you know, like like what I said earlier, just kind of like deal with whatever's happening in the world and like deal with whatever's happening in my mind. And then I just wanted to close up by asking you, Rachel. Yes. Age 17, June 2019. What is it that motivates you now to keep singing and to keep making music the same way that you did as a little girl, five years old, karaoke with your dad? Um, I just think it's just not being represented uh it was kind of difficult for me to um, have realistic standards of like where my career would go uh just because you know you just see these people that weren't even asian um on television it was just super hard just like why am i not getting any like representation you know it's just like dang like are we not good enough and that was never the case um, I guess just like being that person that I never really got to look up to when I was younger, that I never really got to see on the television when I was, when I was younger, you know, just just being that little person when I was younger, not being able to see anyone, and then just like being like, okay, I'll just you know, I'll just I'll be that person that I wanted to always be, that I always wanted to be able to look up to, so that kind of like keeps my drive going. No, you're definitely being seen now. (laughs) Thank you so much. The last finalist we're featuring for this episode is Harry Liu. You can find him on Instagram at hflmusic, and he's talking to Christine and Desiree. The song he'll be featuring is Night Street, and that's an original of his. And listen to this one. I always act the fool. I'm never perfect now. I see what's beneath, so meet me on night Hi, my name is Desiree Zhu, and I am a community relations associate in Collab SF. 
Hi, I'm Christine Alarcon. I am the programming director for Collab SF. Um, today we're here with Harry Liu. Harry, oh. would you Please. take a moment to introduce yourself for those who don't know? Yeah, absolutely. So my name's Harry. I am an Asian American artist here in the Bay Area, and I've been uh, writing my own music for a while, but it's been my passion for, oh man, probably more than half my life. So it's it's always been in my blood. Yeah, that's a little bit about who I am. Uh, since you've been writing for like half your life, how did you get started in music? Yeah, that's a great question. So my first taste in music, actually way, way more than half my life ago. So when I was like five or six, my mom put me through violin classes. Ironically, I hated them. So, oh <laughs> so it was like string instrument. I hated the feeling of like trying to fret the violin. It hurt every time. It mm -hmm. felt like bees were stinging my fingers and... I was just like, Mom, please don't make me do it. <laughs> yeah, like, like every time my violin teacher actually came over, I would actually hide in the bedroom. <laughs> and then I, I would just sometimes just say, Mom, don't make me go out there. And I don't know why I was so drawn to guitar afterwards. It's, it's just this such 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 a big irony. But um, so I played violin for a little bit when I was five. Then I switched to piano for a little bit. But then that didn't last long. Um, both those instruments I wasn't particularly drawn to. Mm -hmm. And then in fifth grade, my mom said, okay, one more shot. Like, we're going to bring you to a music store, just put you in front of a bunch of instruments and see what calls out to you. And uh, I picked up the trumpet because it looked cool. <laughs> so not, not because I had some idols that I wanted to um, model myself after. So it, it didn't unlock my passion for music and how I can express myself. Um, it wasn't until... A family friend actually gifted me a guitar when I was 12 or 13, oh. which is when I started actually learning on my own and playing guitar. And that's when I was actually able to channel who I am and who I became through through learning the guitar. It's been, yeah, it's been a while oh, wow. uh, for music in my life, yeah. Yeah, you definitely went through a like, number of instruments throughout your musical development, oh, yeah. right? And they say self-motivation is the best kind of motivation. <laughs> <Yes>. Always <laughs> doing what you like. Yeah. And with the stuff that you're talking about, how violin hurts, and it maybe it even sounds like chicken scratches or mm -hmm. like cutting wood, <laughs> oh, yeah. As, yeah, my, yeah. as my dad used to say, because yep. I also grew up playing the violin. Exactly, there we go. Yeah. yeah. Could you walk us through like what the process is when you do your own s songwriting? Yeah, absolutely. So usually it comes through topics or melodies. So either one of those two paths. Uh -huh. If you gave me a topic like corn nuts, I could probably write something about it, uh -huh. but it Ooh, wouldn't really? be very profound. <laughs> it would, it would <laughs> be it like... Rhyme. It would sound like poetry, at least. Yeah, I mean, I could try. It, it would take me a little bit, but like... I would say something like salty, like crunchy, corn nuts, yay. Uh, <laughs> but um, what, what I can really express myself through are things, obviously experiences that I've gone through. And every artist, I feel like, draws on their own experiences, draws on their friends' experiences, the world around them. And I combine that with melodies that I hear in my head. So sometimes I'll be humming just randomly anywhere. It doesn't have to be anywhere specific. I don't have like a songwriting zone or, or place <laughs> in my house where I have to write a song. It can, it literally can be anywhere. And once I have a melody or an idea or an emotion, usually there's a period of time, this kind of little window where I have to sit down and actu actually at least write something down. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the start of an idea. And sometimes it, it happens in the most 
inconvenient places on the way to work and I have a meeting on on the way to meeting someone like like a friend for dinner or etc mm-hmm. like sometimes you just have to stop and say like okay I'm, I'm just gonna be late and I'm gonna record this or I'm just gonna like on my voice memos or I'm gonna write it down so um, otherwise it's sometimes not the same um, so that's I would say when inspiration strikes you just gotta put something down on paper and then you just look at what you put down and just go over it and refine it and craft it until something that you semi-like comes out of it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I would say for every 10 songs you write, I feel like this is different for everyone. Some people are super talented songwriters and some people need a lot of time to work on their Mm -hmm. craft. For every 10 songs I write, I really like one of them. And then the other ones are like, I like them, but I feel like I can do a lot better. And I feel like as an artist, it's very important to hold yourself to a standard because that's how you push yourself and improve and actually maybe express yourself in a way that you want to, that, that it represents yourself well. Yeah, you also mentioned, let's say, um, you say you write 10 songs, but you only like mm-hmm. one out of 10. Mm-hmm. So for the remaining songs, they still end up on your album somehow, or do you just discard the rest of the nine? So my last album, I wrote a lot of the songs maybe years before I actually put the album out. Mm -hmm. They were just ideas in the idea bucket. I have this like whole bucket of ideas that I never fully finish or I've written like one verse or one chorus or like one line even. So that album was really just kind of a, a goal for myself as an artist because I knew if I didn't produce an album, I was never going to. So that was the album that I put out there as almost like a personal album, like for myself to achieve. Um, So I would say the last album that I did, it wasn't kind of like the one out of 10 songs. It was like the whatever I have, I wanted to refine it and release it. Um, But Mm -hmm. the next project that I do, whether it's like an LP, a single, or an EP EP or or, um, anything in between, I'm definitely gonna take that approach with the one out of 10. Because I'm already writing and there's already things that are coming to me that I would have put my last album, but I wouldn't put on my next album, if that makes sense, you know? Like, I want to grow as an artist, and I want to refine myself as an artist, so um, I want to be a little more selective in in how I produce going forward. Since you have worked with us in collab, you're willing to help out with the Asian American community. Yeah. Um, So how do you think that your background as an Asian American has influenced your music? My background as Asian American... Uh, I think has helped in a very backwards kind of way. I feel like in the Bay Area specifically, like, you know, Collab SF, everyone is from the Bay, everyone, or at least everyone's parents, wants them to be high achievers, you know, do yeah. something <laughs> like in the doctor, lawyer, engineer field, etc. And I think because of that, when you say you want to play music and when you say you want to pursue something like that, like I told my mom, I think when I was really into music and I would, I, I would play guitar like five, six hours a day, I said, mom, what if I just like quit school and did music full time and, and wrote? And she literally said like, no, like, <laughs> like just no, you're not doing that. Um, I've gotten that response too. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So I think in a very backwards way, it somehow motivates you a little more and it pushes you to find things to really excel at your craft and not in ways that are very like out there and like super crazy like your parents are like finding your whole trip to go to Hollywood and like go to LA and make them make it as an artist but like you kind of have to be a self-motivator 
along with balancing all these other things in your life. I totally agree. Yeah, you right? find your own yeah. form of sustenance first before you Absolutely. can do what you actually want to do. Absolutely. So I feel like, in my opinion, it's one of the truest forms of tr- struggling musician. It's like, <laughs> like you are powering your passion with all these other things, but... You, your time is like cut in half because you can't devote your time to mm-hmm. what you're actually passionate about, right? So I think being an Asian American and having that identity growing, especially growing up in the Bay Area, I think music and the arts, the creative arts, are not promoted as like a career choice or just as a future. So I think right. um, when I was 17, actually, senior year of high school, I got approached by an entertainment company, um, and they wanted to sign me as... Like it was like YouTube was huge back then, and they would they said they would promote me and like kind of connect with me with a bunch of shows and 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 tour me around the Bay Area, and I'm like wow, I'm su- super excited. But I ended up not choosing that because I knew that's something that first probably wouldn't be sustainable, and my mom's probably right. <laughs> but second of all, it wasn't like very safe and kind of high achieving, quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I struggled with, but eventually I. Like, where I am now, I'm still, I can look back on my journey as a musician and as a person, and I can say that the choice that I've made, I've been able to work as hard as I have been because I've been motivated by not necessarily having the full backing, full supporting, mm-hmm. full support of those situations and opportunities to really just pursue music, so... I think that's one of the biggest parts of being an Asian American that maybe not everyone can relate or understand, um, but I think everyone can at least sympathize with. Like right. that's like something that's very evident, you know. Like, and everyone's parent in some way, or or relatives or people around them, want them to be successful. Um, but it's just different scenarios for different people. All right, um, and last question: what What's next for you, Harry? Oh. New projects, new music? Yes, new projects, new music for sure. So I am hoping to come out with at least an uh, EP in 2020. So five songs-ish, but they're going to be five really good songs instead of like 11 like songs I'm just like throwing out there, you know? <laughs> um, and I want to start doing a lot more live gigs and shows around the Bay Area. Um, so that that's going to be the latter half of this year, hopefully. Um, but I'm definitely going to be in my writing den for a while before I release any music. So look out for some music in 2020 for sure. Awesome. Thank you so much, Harry. Yeah, no problem. It was a pleasure. Yeah. And that's going to do it for our third episode of Golden Great. Send questions, comments, and episode ideas our way to goldengreat at collaboration.org. Don't forget the K. Golden Great's producers are Ray Wong and Michelle Alberiera, and our executive producer is Josh Coe. Sound mixing is by Michelle Aviera and editing by Ray Wong. Our podcast team also includes Christine Alcon and Jenny Lee. With special thanks also going out to Kathleen Damien and Desiree Shu. Golden Great is now on all podcast platforms. Please like, favorite, and rate us. And we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye.